0: D- 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 dignity of man knowledge of course is power there's a very good reason why president trump says he so prefers uneducated people if we don't know and don't even feel knowledgeable to ask questions the official stories stand and us foreign policy remains beyond the grasp of citizens our founders intended a much more participatory democratic process over such life-and-death decisions, which, of course, involve a lot of money, too. Today, we're going to look at two stories which are inconvenient for the powers that be and are therefore hardly known at all. The first is actual good news out of Mexico, a new government there that's turning away from the demonstrably harmful, long-standing domination of the neoliberal banking interests, and the second part of our discussion looks behind the neat pictures being projected to us about the war in Syria, now exploding into Iraq, Iran, and of course, Turkey. The escalation in late December of popular fury in Iraq, which is being sold to us as a mere proxy war between the U.S. and Iran, is extremely dangerous. And our guest argues it is essential that we Americans learn the truth behind the quick, simplified images. We are seeing. So let's start with the good news. When North Americans think of Mexico, the words from the new president's 2018 book suffice to fill the task. Known by his initials AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador describes that state of Mexico when he assumed office as one of rampant inequality, shocking poverty, frustration, resentment, hate and violence. Probably the most recent mainstream media news out of Mexico was of the brutal murder of a Mormon family back in November 2019. Then, of course, there's the racist fear of dark-skinned immigrants invading our white country with droves of refugees. A shameful picture, of course, a racist picture painted by President Donald Trump to spew fear and hate for his own benefit. The fact is, there have been real changes that are made in Mexico that are virtually unknown, as American news does tend to be remarkably parochial and intentionally myopic. And even though with 129 million people twice the size of the United Kingdom, Americans are, as a result, kept in the dark about new hopeful news from south of our border. After reading the article by our guest today, Rick Sterling, it does seem that The new president, known as AMLO, A-M-L-O, again, is a virtual antithesis of our own aggressively corrupting president. AMLO, it appears, is driven by actually addressing the well-known problems which have existed unaddressed for decades by the ruling party. Writing that Mexico is in a period of profound change and President Andres Manuel López Obrador and his Morena party are charting a dramatically New Path for the Country. In Mint Press News, Rick Sterling's article is titled, Mexico's President AMLO is Delivering the Change, He Promised. Imagine that. I, uh, In the face of so much awful news out of the U.S. and the U.K., the fact, in fact, good things are finally happening, led by a braved, left-leaning new head of government. Rick Sterling, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive.
1: Yeah, it's great to be with you, Bert.
0: Rick Sterling is an investigative journalist based in the San Francisco Bay Area. On Latin America, he works with Task Force on the Americas, where he's president of the board. On Syria, he works with the Syria Solidarity Movement, where he's a co-founder and member of the steering committee. Rick's journalistic work is published at Mint Press, Global Research, Consortium News, and other publications. Well, again, thanks for being with us. You usually focus on Syria. What was your motivation for writing about uh, 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 Lopez López Abrador in Mexico and Mexico why why did you write it
1: I I think my my main motivation was I read his book uh, which is titled New Hope for Mexico it was published um, in 2018 as he was running for uh, for the presidency of of Mexico and I found the book to be very um, very persuasive very compelling and um, he he's an experienced politician. He was the the, the mayor of, of Mexico City uh, for six years. He left uh, office uh, with a very high approval rating, um, and as and then following that, he ran for the uh, presidency in two thousand six and two thousand twelve. Both times, um, many people believe the election uh, that he won the election, but it was stolen from him um but uh huh. reading his book i found it uh very uh very persuasive very compelling and and i really recommend uh uh your listeners to read it for themselves
0: well it's it's good to read things and not just uh, believe everything that is projected to us on that uh boob tube which is not really a tube anymore but still i've long thought it interesting perhaps ironic that the name of the party which ruled mexico for so many decades I believe, was the Party of Democratic Revolution. Tell us about them with regard to Mexico's well-known economic troubles in light of worldwide neoliberalism. And, of course, not many people are not really familiar with what the term neoliberalism is and how it affects people's lives. Where does this old party fit in? How long have they uh, been in there, and what's their relationship with the uh, neoliberal powers of the world?
1: Well, basically, Mexico, from about 1920 to the year 2000 was governed by the Institutional Revolutionary Party the PRI and uh they were challenged by the uh Revolutionary Democratic Party the PRD at at um in the late uh, 1990s but actually the 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 far right party the PAN so called PAN uh uh, the the uh, party uh, uh, the party of action of national action took 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 office in two thousand with uh, with uh, Vicente Fox uh, the, governing Mexico at the same time as G W Bush so so it's the, and the PRI from from nineteen twenty to to about two uh, to the year two thousand governed it, it went through various um, uh, various uh, uh, periods where it was more progressive, but in the 1980s and 90s, it it went neoliberal. And by by neoliberal, mm-hmm. I mean it was moving away. It was moving toward privatization. Privatization of of everything, whether it was the telecom industry, whether it was the uh, the uh, uh, the oil industry, uh, privatization. Uh, in education, uh, through, th- throughout the uh, economy and throughout the society, uh, things were being turned over to to forces uh, to basically hedge funds and, and corporations and away from um, uh, away from um, uh, a, govern- a, a government. So the consequences of that were were pretty severe. Um, and it it also went uh, along with the uh with the trade agreements uh the NAFTA trade agreement with the United States and and Canada which resulted in the uh the uh, huge crops uh basically food being imported and the destruction of the local economy mm. and many farmers being unable to sustain themselves on uh, in rural areas and being forced to go to the city, and then uh, being forced to to flee the uh, uh, become refugees. Um, so that's uh, that's kind of the the big picture there.
0: Well, that is certainly a lot that uh, for anybody to take on. Um, he became president. Uh, Lopez Obrador became president on December first, twenty eighteen, with a very ambitious agenda. In light of all those amazing problems, what, what was that agenda and how successful was his first year? What, what has been accomplished which affects people's lives?
1: Well, he's, as you say, he's been in office for just over one year um, already. Right right out of the, out of the gates, he, uh, he increased the minimum wage uh, 16%. And uh, doubling it in the area near the border with uh, with the U.S. Of course, there's oh, yeah. a lot of maquiladoras factories um, in, tho- in those area- in that region. He actually doubled uh, the minimum wage. At the same time, he cut the the, um, the bloated salaries and the bloated pension packages of uh, various officials, uh, including nice. judges. Um, and people in um, in high office in mexico um, that was uh, that was received very well uh, throughout the country he's um, he's uh, ter- he opened up the presidential palace um, uh, so that people could could see it he's he lives in another another building he uh, it, I'm not sure if he's already sold or he's selling the presidential jet. Um so in in all sorts of fields he he has some of it's symbolic I think
0: mm-hmm.
1: um you know cutting the salaries w- earned him a lot of hostility uh you know from the wealthy but at the same time it it earned him a lot of support and respect from the poor people because while he was cutting their salaries he was dramatically increasing the salaries of the of the, of the poor people, so it's it's uh, a pretty clear cut uh, class prior, mm. prioritization. Mm. Um, he has uh, he has instituted a, a a scheme where loans go directly to small uh, small farmers. Of course, Mexico is is very much a rural population. Although Mexico City, there's other huge cities in in the country, but. Uh, it's a large. It's a large country, as many of your listeners will sure. know. They've visited there, and and so forth. But uh, it really depends on on agriculture. So one thing he's done is in, uh, he's instituted a policy of small loans going to small farmers, which has helped them out a lot. He has um, created a uh, tremendous opportunities for for youth uh, where they can be paid a, a, a small. Small payment, but where they're being trained uh, in, in different areas. Um, so, and then he is—he's um, launching a, a project of uh, renationalizing the oil industry. Uh-huh. So, it's all described in his book. And what he's carrying out is—is is the plans that he laid out. Uh, he wants to renationalize the oil industry. He instead of sending the crude oil abroad to be refined. He's re-emphasizing that they should have their own refineries, so he's building a new modern refinery um, in uh, uh, the Gulf area of, Mexi- of Mexico. Uh, he's got ambitious plans of, of um, planting fruit trees and, and other um, other uh, crops that will be useful uh, in the long term. So you know he and i think he's setting a, an example uh the secrecy and the privacy of the of past presidents is contrasted with AMLO he starts every day at 7 a.m. with a press conference and uh, you know the much of the media is controlled in Mexico by the by the oligarchy he is combating that by going to the people. Oh um, interested listeners can and can uh, look at his press conferences every day on his Twitter feed. So it's an interesting comparison. As you know, I think we're quite aware that uh, that President Trump is is opposed by most of the media in the U.S. major segments of the media, but he reaches directly to yeah. his base. Mm-hmm. Through social media, and uh, that's um, that 's kind of what amlo is doing as well he 's getting around the control of the media by the Mexican oligarchy and international uh, international forces by um, having a, a, a daily press conference uh, which is wide open he, it, sometimes it runs an hour or two, two hours hmm. um, but uh, he, he sets an example of hard work and uh, and transparency.
0: And so he's got a, a new party. There's there's not the uh uh institutional uh yes. revolution. Yes. It's Morena. Uh how strong yes. are they in the Mexican so the legislature? movement
1: for regener- regeneration, uh, Morena. And um after the 20 uh after the 2012 election where he was the candidate for the PRD, for the Democratic Revolution Party, but after that um, effort, um, where again he—it's widely believed that the election was stolen from him—but apparently he wasn't too happy with uh, the way the the people who who controlled that party were running things, and he he launched the Morena party at that time and um incredibly they have a majority they all, wow. in the, in their first election in the 2018 election they won a majority in the uh Mexican Congress and Senate so he has their backing Jeez. um it and it's uh, very much allied with him it's not an overwhelming majority but they they have a majority in the in the Mexican Congress and Senate and they are um, supporting his agenda.
0: There must be a lot of pushback <laughs> from the people who, who have run the country, and I, I have no—my uh, sense is that there, you know, like many South American countries, a few very wealthy and a lot of people who are pretty darn poor. I assume that's been the case for a long time. What about these, uh, these wealthy, powerful interests? They must be uh, not really happy with him.
1: Yes, yeah, they, they are very unhappy with him, and he's also, he's um, attacked, there's an interesting, there's a, a gas-thieving cartel um, where they were tapping into uh, gas lines, and then they were selling gas. And this was like a billion-dollar industry, and he directly confronted and attacked that. He's earned a lot, he's earned some some powerful enemies, you're right. No, um, and... Um, Uh, you know, frankly, I hope his security is good. Um, It's, uh, you know, I think what he, he seems to be going about, uh, going about his, fulfilling his campaign promises just depending on his, on massive public support. But you're right, he's, he's got powerful enemies who are, who are, um, are, are resisting and opposing him. And, the powerful enemies include, of course, the U.S. and uh-huh. U, some U.S. corporations. Uh-huh. Now, that's not to say that he is against business or that all Mexican business is against him, because as as he describes in his book, he's not against Mexican business. He's he's only against business that doesn't contribute to society and that doesn't um, doesn't do anything positive. He- so he is... Trying to very consciously trying to forge an alliance with, with um, with nationalist forces, with Mexican business, with including international business, as long as they contribute positively to the economy and society.
0: Gosh, it reminds me of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was very very pro business, but he wanted to make sure. That business served the common good. What a concept! Yes. <laughs> For those who may think have just—that's
1: a, comp- a valid comparison, and I think it's also a little bit. There's some similarities between his style and approach and Jeremy Corbyn in the uh-huh. UK uh, and Bernie Sanders in, in the U.S.
0: Well, we we kind of like that. A lot of us do anyway. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. Our show is called "Keeping Democracy Alive," and we're talking with uh, Rick Sterling, who uh, has written an article about uh, Mexico's president uh, delivering the change he promised. And there's some some good news out there. We're going to talk about Mexico at first, and then go into Syria. Some bad, good news from Mexico, bad news Syria, of course, um, and. Uh, so PEMEX has been, you know, a big, big oil company for a long time. The petroleum industry of Mexico, uh, as you point out, the bond rating for the state-owned PEMEX has been downgraded. How has he reacted to that?
1: Well, I'm I'm not sure of the details of of how they are sure. are. They don't really have much. Um, I I think they they don't influence that too too much. It may be. That the move, some people speculate that the move was done to put pressure uh-huh. on Mexico and to, you know, if if you will, the, to hobble um, uh, Mexico and to undermine his efforts at at uh, rebuilding the economy. Um, it, it, that it 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 becomes now with with the bond rating lowered. It means that. That some of the projects that some of the ambitious projects that he wants to launch, building the uh, the new refinery, re-nationalizing other refineries, some of those projects will be more difficult for him to do. It may be that international monetary forces are they don't want to see him succeed. <laughs> uh, that may be, um, really? but uh, in any case, they they have to deal with the the lowered bond rating. They have to deal with the recession in Mexico, but some of these forces are, are beyond their control. Um, he's going ahead with what he can control, and, and that's uh, making loans directly to the people, reaching out and, and mustering the support that he can. That I think he's depending on the mass of Mexican people supporting him and giving him the, the continuing influence to proceed with the plans.
0: There is power of the people. You know, oftentimes we here in America, we've come to believe that we are powerless. We are not powerless. And and they obviously know that in Mexico, that they have some power. And comparing the two, uh, how have relations between uh, Obrador, AMLO, and our orange president, Trump, been? <laughs> how's, how's that going there?
1: Well, uh, the, the basically Trump... Uh, uh Mexico is in a in a difficult position they cannot they 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 don't have a strong enough economy although it's the 10th largest country in the world um uh, the, there's no way they can take on uh take on the US and so he's tried to play things as diplomatically as possible um cool. at the same time as as uh, so so Trump has uh, Trump basically threatened to um I think uh, it was maybe a 20% tax he was going to mm-hmm. levy on me- on me- on all imports from from Mexico. He threatened to do that unless AMLO um uh, uh put restrictions on the migration happening from Central America uh to the United States border. And and somewhat controversially um, AMLO has, has gone along with that, and, uh, you know, they, are, they, are, they don't have as open a border as they used to have at, at the Guatemala border. So uh, Trump has leaned on AMLO to do that, and AMLO has, uh, to some extent, complied. Um, so that's somewhat controversial.
0: Well, discretion is the better part of valor. You know, you mm-hmm. you, make, you make your choices, and uh, so th- the previous government. I it's amazing to me how they could have gotten away with what they got away with. And and in his in his book, Amlo says in Mexico the governing class constitutes a gang of plunderers. That's pretty amazing language. And he names the officials and oligarchs who profited from privatizing public institution. And he he's, apparently they even took away the right of children to free education. Why would they do that? And how how did they get away with that? I mean, taking away free education for kids. Why?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's part of the the privatization of all things, uh, you know, of of throughout society, which you know we've seen seen here as well. And, and uh, the privatization, the the fact that. Uh, higher education is so expensive now, so you know in it's um, it uh, you know this is this is the the kind these are the kind of policies that that Amlo wants to reverse.
0: I would imagine so. It's amazing that they got away with it as long as they did because it hurt so many people and helped so few. Yeah. What what about I mean one of the things that that people ask Bernie Sanders, how are you going to pay for it? Where are you going to get the money? Uh, how how is he doing that? I mean, you know, standing up to the uh, to the great powers, the market forces, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund. I mean, they've had great power to lend money and thus shape economic policy of many developing countries. They almost religiously require, as you say, blind acquiescence to market forces and harsh harsh austerity. Uh, is is Amlo biting the hand that feeds him? How's he doing with with those? really powerful entities.
1: Well, I the you know to be honest, I'm not sure how his relations are going on that score. I know you know from his book it's interesting. He he basically um has an approach of of he's not going to take out you know, he's not going to do deficit spending. Really? The things that uh-huh. the, the uh, the new policies and the new um uh grants and the the kinds of things that he's the positive things that he's undertaking such as the the small loans to to small farmers right. such as um the training for youth these are being paid for largely by cuts from from other areas of the economy like cut cut the bloated salaries from some Officials, the uh, the selling off the presidential jet, uh, cutting uh, cutting wasteful spending is partly how is is largely how he describes um, he's going to pay for these these uh, these programs. Now, in the U.S., I mean, I, I was struck by the contrast because he was talking about reducing uh you know a lot of the items were effectively were military type items right. for Mexico the mexico police you know the the helicopters and the the uh, jets and so forth for their and the uh, ships for their the their navy he was talking about uh, uh reducing or cutting the spending in those areas to pay for the social programs the contrast with our own country is so huge because We've seen, whereas Trump promised he was going to build the infrastructure of the U.S. and so on and so forth, what what we've actually seen him do is dramatically increase the military budget, at the same time as he has cut um, uh, the funding of all sorts of uh, whether it's the national park system oh, or the the uh, 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 housing, urban development, or whatever uh whatever p- positive social programs in the US they've been cut as we've seen the military budget in the US uh, skyrocket it's more or less the opposite in in Mexico
0: mm. sounds good to me and i am of course i can't help but be reminded of some of the things that that bernie sanders says there seems to be uh you know some similarity there's uh i mean and quoting from his book uh Obedore says we need to democratize the state Mm-hmm. Retool it as an engine of political, economic, and social growth. We must rid ourselves of the myth that development requires blind acquiescence to market forces, uh, and Mexico will not go strong if our public institutions remain at the service of wealthy elites. That's, I mean, that sounds really, I must say, very good and very similar to uh, the appeal of, of Bernie Sanders. And, you know, one thing I think a lot of people know or have the impression about Mexico, is is drugs, the drug war. The drug war that the U.S. has been leading has obviously done horrific damage to great numbers of people here in the U.S., and I imagine in Mexico, without any real impact on the demand for drugs. What has AMLO said about the strictly coercive war on drugs? What about the rampant corruption of police and the judicial system? What Has Obrador a plan to deal with all that kind of stuff and the, and the war on drugs.
1: Yes, he he addresses that in his book. Um I get it's it in in 2017 I just looked up the statistics. I was curious. In 2017, 31,000 people were uh were killed in uh, by by homicides in in Mexico. So violence is a huge problem and the drug cartels is is a big part of that. What he talks about is um, is uh, not following through with the plan that has been uh, that they've been doing for the last twenty years, which is trying to use the military to to uh, take on basically throwing more weapons to uh, at the at the uh, at the cartels to uh, try to overpower them. Um, what he talks about doing are a couple of things one is is they're setting out to, to legalize marijuana uh, and uh, to um, to regulate that through uh, uh, through the federal system and basically to provide better uh, uh, sources of lively, other sources of livelihood to young people, some of whom have gone into the be become uh, either uh, uh, somehow participated in the in uh, the drug cartels because there aren't a lot of other options. There isn't a, a lot of hope in other areas. So there's been a a kind of a societal uh, breakdown uh, as as people were driven away from the rural areas, driven into the cities. Uh, without any opportunity and um and uh, people have gone into the drug trade because there weren't many options sure. so basically he's he's going to legalize marijuana and to open up a lot of uh alternative um a, a lot of alternatives for youth which provide you know more hope and more future and I think above all he's setting a setting as an example, it's, it's almost a moral, um, hmm. uh, uh, yeah, a moral campaign. Um, he, he, another thing that comes through in his book is the, it's not religious, but it's definitely got a moral tone to it. Hmm. Um, that's, that's quite interesting. So he's, he's talking about bringing out the best in people and, He's confronting. He's he's saying it's not just the drug cartel that's that's bad for society and that is is a negative force. You know, he names some of the names of, of the uh, the politicians and the uh, the oligarchs in in uh, Mexico. Um, so that's another interesting element of his of his approach to politics.
0: Wow. That's uh, so good to hear. And it's I mean, it's not surprising that we north of the border haven't heard much about it because it seems to be working. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. Our show is called Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking with Rick Sterling. At this point so far, we're talking about uh, Mexico's new president, AMLO Obrador, uh, who is uh, delivering and doing some good things for Mexico. And a lot of people have just recently heard of Evo Morales. How will confess i've been a fan of his for a long time he uh was just ousted in an apparent coup in bolivia and for a long time the moneyed interests have been eager to get rid of him and to to privatize the uh natural gas resources and other things there uh how is uh, just what about uh amlo and uh evo morales who has been ousted i believe he's uh somewhere in mexico now right
1: Right, and uh, now this is another another element of the importance of the, the change in Mexico, because in the in the past you had Mexico really being subservient to Washington foreign policy, uh, whereas um, uh, since AMLO has taken power um, with the support of, of uh, the Morena party, uh, they have they're charting an independent uh, uh, they're charting an independent course. And they have a strict policy of non-intervention and non-interference. So uh, he denounced the coup in Bolivia. And actually, he, it may be that Evo Morales uh, w- was uh, being threatened with death. It was a, a Mexican plane that went and brought him to Mexico. And he and the vice president are are uh, uh, currently uh, living in, in Mexico City. Uh, right now, in right now in uh, La Paz, uh, Bolivia, the Mexican embassy is um, is under threat of attack uh, no, by Bolivian forces because some some of the other leaders um, of of uh, Evo Morales' party in in uh, have uh, taken refuge in the Mexican embassy. So we can see the the importance of. The the new policy in Mexico on the international stage. Uh-huh. Um, they're restoring the policy of having friendly relations with Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, there's another another uh, big uh, Latin American country is seeing some some uh, positive change in that the election in Argentina, uh-huh. uh, the the recent election in Argentina just a month ago saw the uh, Fernandez. Um, uh come to power he's definitely a progressive force compared to uh the 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 former president and um and the first place they went to uh they the first place that uh, the new president went to visit was Mexico City.
0: Oh, fascinating and uh one more thing about uh Mexico and you know the Trump government has very forcibly tried tried again and again to oust Venezuela's Maduro, without success. Um, yes, but uh, and what about? Uh, I mean, that's controversial. Trump p- picked out his own alleged president of of, of Venezuela. Uh, what's Mexico's right. uh, relationship there?
1: Uh, well, there again, you uh, the importance of having a, a foreign policy of non-interference, non-non uh, non, uh, uh, self-determination. So. Mexico has supported the, you know, in fact, Maduro was uh, uh, was elected by the Venezuelan people. And the U.S. Is, says the, the election is fraudulent because their candidate uh, loses. Um, and then yeah. they went from there to anointing uh, this uh, Juan Guaido, yeah. uh, this person who 80% of the Venezuelan people had never heard of two weeks before uh, the U.S., um, Uh, Mike Pompeo declared that he was uh, gave him the green light, and he declared himself to be the uh, the president of Mexico. So, some of the um, subordinate uh, Latin American countries went along with with the U.S. on that, and Mexico did not. Um, And of course, since then, the uh, the threats have, have escalated. There was an assassination attempt on on uh, on uh, Maduro really cool. uh there are there've been border skirmishes uh there's there's the real danger that that the milit that there may be a military uh, effort to overthrow the government but um but uh, so That's far really cool. it's uh you know th- the fact that Mexico is standing by the policies of of non-interference is uh, in the foreign in the affairs of a, of an independent foreign country is very important.
0: Yeah, that that's a good uh, signal worldwide, and it it goes up and down in terms of strength of of such people and such policies. Yes. What about how the the future power? of of amlo i mean as we mentioned the oligarchs who have ruled mexico for so long can't be real thrilled w- what is the next election how organized are they against him and his agenda or, do we know uh is there a, a set timetable or can elections just be called
1: yeah it's a six year uh uh-huh. six year in office so they had the election in 2018 the next election will be in 2024 i see um how you organized are they um uh i'm I'm not sure. sure I think he's banking on he's one thing that again is is impressive if you read his book it is it's really clear he doesn't beat around the bushes he he says who he's going to oppose uh he says uh who he's gonna support he lays out the plans and he seems to be proceeding on that on that plan. Uh, it 's kind of amazing that he 's accomplished as much as he yeah. has just in in one year in in office uh, there's a, a, obviously there 's a tremendous am, amount more that needs to be done uh, the 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 battle against uh violent uh, violence and and the drug cartels is ongoing um, and it you know it, it remains to be seen whether trump you know of course in washington they're uh, they're paying close attention to this because j- just as i've talked about the the positive effects or what i see as the positive right. effects they're they're looking at this as a negative yeah. so how how is the us going to try to destabilize or undermine amlo um remains to be seen
0: The U.S. trying to destabilize legitimate governments? No, I can't imagine (laughs) such a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. My goodness. Well, turning to our less optimistic story, that of Syria. Uh, Rick, you've been to Syria several times since the war started in 2014. Nearly all of us in America, try though we might, really just don't have a clear picture. What we've been led to believe, led to accept, is that The rebels against President Assad are the good guys, while the Russian-backed government is the bad guys, and they must be ousted. After all, they dropped chemical gas bombs on their own people, didn't they? What about that incident?
1: Well, uh, basically, don't believe everything you read um, or or, uh, see on the TV is, is one important lesson. I was actually in Syria... Um, twice this year, this, uh, this uh, in September and in October, um, every time I've gone to Syria, going back to 2014, it, it amazes me because uh, you know th- the image that we have in the, th- is, is um, basically a destroyed country, and right. the images we see on TV are really far from the reality. The Syrian people are incredibly warm uh Damascus and Holmes and Latakia are thriving cities um bustling there's uh an incredible spirit and that's it's very positive the the negative side that that you mention is that th- so much destruction has has taken place and that right now the US has effectively lost the war the US and, and their allies and you know, the, the U.S. allies, the regime change effort was basically a full-on assault by the Gulf monarchies, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and so forth, the United Arab Emirates, Israel, Turkey, and all the West European uh, countries. They all ganged up on Syria that never did anything to, that, to hurt them but for various geopolitical and other reasons they were intent on overthrowing the government in Damascus and incredibly since the war's been going on since 2011 oh. after 8 years going on 9 years of 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 war with uh with uh, hundreds of thousands of of mercenaries and um and fighters brought from all countries, uh, you know, all continents of on Earth, uh, the Syrian people have resisted and uh, and successfully defeated the effort at overthrowing the government. So I think it's you know what's the the first thing that uh, to be aware of is that it's it's not what we've been told. There have been many. Actually, there was there were many bad reports by frontline and and i exposed one of them wrote about it and and it went up to the pbs ombudsman which they used to have at that time they had an ombudsman but he looked into it and 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 there have been many bad reports about syria but there was actually one good one where they went to where they actually went to syria and you can see the Surprise, Martin Smith's Surprise in the in the video. Uh, for those who are interested, uh, I think it's called Assad Syria or something like that. But there's one good uh, frontline story, and then otherwise you can just look at people who are, who are interested. Uh, Janice Court is somebody who's used social media very, uh, very powerfully. Um, she's got a lot of uh, links to to. Um, uh, stories and reports and analyses on social media Janice Kortkamp, K O R T K A M P and through her uh, or you're welcome to to write me as well it, it, people are interested to to you know to learn about other sources of information um about this but uh but despite all the negatives and and right now the US is, is focusing on escalating the draconian sanctions and trying to strangle the economy and prevent refugees from returning to Syria and prevent them from being able to rebuild but um they're withstanding that and um and uh, really prevailing in the in the conflict so so there is good news um even though mm-hmm. you know everything we here in our media is, is bad.
0: Boy, it's, it certainly is. And, and the picture we get is, you know, of a horrible monster, Assad. I mean, a few years ago, we in the U.S. were bombarded with pictures of yes. innocent civilians, many children suffering from the effects of chlorine gas bombs, allegedly dropped right. on them by Assad's government. The U.S. and Britain and France then responded by launching airstrikes in retaliation. That's the story we were left with what is missing yeah. from that picture
1: yeah the you know killing his own people that was the the mantra uh, gassing his own people that was the mantra in the new york times and throughout the western media and another bit of good news is that it's being now exposed to be false uh, fr- right from uh, you know from the 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 source of basically the a lot of those claims were, they weren't really buttressed, but they were kind of supported by an, or, by a, an international body called the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the OPCW. And that's uh, an international body that gets some funding from the United Nations and, and other sources, but it's supposed to be strictly scientific and strictly neutral politically. And they, they implied they wouldn't attribute the blame for, for, um, uh, for gas, uh, gas uh, attacks, but they would, uh, one way or another, they would imply, well, it must have been the government, it couldn't be anybody else. And now what's coming out from multiple senior staff in the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons that, that those reports... Were biased and false, that they censored their own staff, and that they were uh, producing reports that were basically um, uh, uh, supporting the U.S. position on this. So it's, you know, some mainstream journalists such as Robert Fisk and um, uh, Jonathan Steele. Have reported on this as being basically the credibility of an organization like that it depends on their impartiality, and then it depends on them um, being seen as um, as objective, and that's been destroyed. And that's a uh, to the extent that they have been complicit, that's a good thing. It, it actually goes back further. There's another story about the OPCW which is important and interesting. Now the organization was founded in the in the late 1990s uh, and it was going to play a it it was wanting to play a role before the US invaded Iraq in 2003. You know as as many of your listeners will recall the US said there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and that was the justification for the the invasion. Well the OPCW in 2002 uh, said that they were going to go into Iraq, and they wanted to go in there and look, and they, they could determine whether or not these claims were true. The U.S., of course, was intent on stopping that from mm-hmm. happening, and, and John Bolton went into the office of the director general of the OPCW and said to him he had to go um and apparently uh, you know and it it was a it was a a, a showdown he refused Juan Bustani the Bustani the uh, Brazilian leader of the organization refused and the the US engineered his ouster following that so that was John Bolton working with um with uh, GW Bush uh, and they managed to basically subvert the independence of the OPCW at that point mm-hmm. and then we've seen it in in this current um, in the current um, disclosures we've seen it it basically shown that the OPCW cannot be trusted mm-hmm. now I've been to Syria four times uh, since 2014 and I've talked with a lot of people there on the street I've you know, r- random conversations. I've got a, a, a good friend who's who's Syrian who can do you know do translations yeah, that's for me. Good. Um, and he's not a big supporter of the the government. My 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 friend, but um, you know, to, to a to a person, the people on the street, they they. Um, th- they are opposed to this to the uh they are opposed to the the terrorists they they don't call them rebels they call them terrorists hmm. um and they know that the the government there needs to prevail in the in the in the in the war right now we're seeing uh, there you know over the coming weeks there's people are going to be hearing a lot about idlib right. and they're going to hear be hearing a lot about syria with claims that the Russians and the Syrians are bombing innocent civilians in, in Idlib. Idlib is actually, um, it's, it's on the border with Turkey. It's a, it's a, a small pro, uh, province, and there's a, the capital city is Idlib. You know, before, uh, before the conflict began, it, it had a total population of 1.5 million, and that is much reduced. So these claims that there's 3 million civilians are nonsense, is nonsense. Um, the, the number of civilians is being dramatically exaggerated in the media, and what they don't tell you is that the, the group that dominates, uh, is running Idlib right now, is, is the Syrian branch of al-Qaeda. So here we have the U.S. and its allies in cahoots with al-Qaeda, because they are so, they've been so intent on destroying the Syrian government and the independence of the Syrian government that they will even, they will even um, partner with Al Qaeda. Um, so that's you know what what we're going, what we're actually seeing happen in Syria is that the Syrian army is is moving to try to expel and crush the Al Qaeda controlled stronghold. And then after that happens, they're going to uh, turn their attention to the east, uh, to the eastern desert part of the country where the U.S. has occupation forces, and they're pumping the oil of Syrian. And here we have Trump saying, "I like oil. Uh, you, know, yes, to, you know, we want to keep. You know, we we're we're securing the oil. This is this is uh, what Trump has said. So." Uh, f- but first things first uh, the syrian government is focusing on expelling al-qaeda the terrorists and then they're going to turn their attention to the east but in large the 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 largely populated the heavily populated parts of the country are extremely safe uh my partner was with me she said she felt more safe walking around Damascus than she does cities in the U.S.
0: I'll bet. I'm not surprised. We have a quite a bit of violence here, random violence. And and speaking, of course, of violence, uh, is between the warring parties, the so-called rebels, and the government uh, is the White Helmets. Across the mainstream Western media, the White Helmets are hailed as heroic first responders rescuing injured civilians in rebel-controlled parts of Syria. Praise seems to be universal, left and right. We see a steady stream of stories about suffering children, being rescued by them. Are they, as depicted, just some well-meaning Syrians who emerged to help all civilians suffering for many years of war? Or are they an element of something else? Who funds the White Helmets? Tell us about them.
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting—I'm glad you brought that up because that's an interesting example of, of modern propaganda, um, I think it was uh John Pilger the journalist uh John Pilger who said they were a quote a complete propaganda construct because the white helmets uh, you know it's it's um reputed to be a Syrian force that um that is neutral politically that uh, that is just rescuing people and none of none of that is true um, it was created by a British military contractor. It's been funded by the U.S. and by the U.K. and by uh, some other European countries. Um, they were uh, they were trained in Turkey, and they began by by stealing the um, the rescue equipment, the ambulances, and and um, and uh, f- uh, fire engines of the real Syrian civil defense. Which has existed since the 1950s in Syria, um, so it's it it it's been a very successful uh, propaganda campaign. I first heard about it in I think it was 2014 or maybe early 2015 when a friend of mine who has done great work around Palestine he said, "Well, we've got finally got somebody to to root for," you know that the. the the uh the uh deal uh, between the armed opposition and the Syrian government there's neither side is very good but at least there's the white helmets so my friend told me that and i i was curious so i looked into it and i discovered very quickly that it it, it is um it it is a a a, a pr campaign in fact they their their pr Operation was being run out of Brooklyn, Brooklyn, yeah. New York. Interesting. <laughs> um, their their the the leader uh, had a had a uh, Washington Post editorial written f- for him by by one of the marketing firms in in Washington. Oh, um, they were campaigning for the U.S. and NATO to get more involved in Syria. Uh, they only work in the areas of that are controlled by by Al Qaeda, Jabhat al nusra The the, the, the name is, name, the yeah. Syrian name for it. You know, they're part of assassination cleanup campaigns. Their headquarters are invariably alongside the headquarters of the terrorists. So there's been a mountain of misinformation. It's The documentary won the uh, Academy Award a couple of years ago. It was actually seriously nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, believe it or not. And it's it's really a disgrace Uh, And it doesn't speak well for their selection committee that the White Helmets, after only being created in 2013 by a U.K. military contractor initially, that it doesn't speak well for their selection committee that they uh, awarded uh, uh, a prize to the White Helmets. They obviously didn't even scratch below the surface.
0: Yeah, interesting how there are always uh, TV cameras there filming (laughs) just a coincidence exactly I'm sure I wanted to ask about I mean there's an uprising in Iraq now uh, that the, the US, the media is calling uh, a proxy war between the US and Iran. Somehow, I doubt that. I think they're just calling it that. How, what is the reality there? and how dangerous is that? I you just got a couple minutes for that. I don't know if you can respond.
1: Well, in both Iraq and, and in Lebanon, uh, you're, seeing, you're seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of protests. Right. I think there are yes. various forces at, at play um and i think destabilization is being promoted from the outside hmm. um i was in um you know i haven't i haven't been to iraq but i was in lebanon on the way to syria and and i attended one of the one of the big uh, demonstrations there to to see and to observe it there are some uh, ver- uh, some positive elements there that are that are demanding a change from a sectarian government the sectarian government that they they have established in Lebanon um and uh but there's also very there's also uh, dark forces at work there and and violence i think that you know it's it's got to be looked at right now the the funding some of the funding there was some some good reporting done by Rania Kulak in in the gray zone the funding of some of the groups that are pushing the the conflict in Lebanon, and I think the same is true in Iraq. We have to look below the surface to see what what forces are at play there. But the big picture overall in the, in the middle the Middle East, whether it's Lebanon, Iraq, or Syria, is that the effort to overthrow Syria and turn it into a, a, a failed state as mm like they succeeded in doing in Libya, has failed. The Syrian government has has stood up to the assault, which is pretty amazing, because you had billions and billions of dollars being used to fund, and you had jihadis from around the world going to Syria, literally hundreds of thousands. Against that uh, uh, assault, Syria has resisted and, and has stood firm, and that's partly because of their support from positive uh, Iraqi forces, progressive Iranian forces, and Lebanese forces, as well as Russia it hasn't degenerated to a failed state in fact it's winning the war
0: well fascinating we've run out of time if people want to read more of your stuff Rick Sterling is there some uh, website you can point them to you
1: could just search on my name
0: well you can see why Trump doesn't want people to understand things and it's our responsibility to dig beneath the surface thank you so much for being with us Rick Sterling shedding light okay my start. pleasure Bert thank you when